A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on in Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who does not suffer from cat allergies, although I've got a bit of a cold at the moment. And I'm Jacqueline Berto, who is very partial to a pickled egg. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who have been successfully shifted to the cricket pitch. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episode of The Archers were written by Caroline Jester, who's a relatively recent recruit to the team. I think this may in fact be only her second week. The first would have been back at the end of August, beginning of September last year, which is when the book club was reading Don't Look Now. Hmm. Coming up, we have calls from Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who's been triggered by one of Helen's decisions. Jen from Brooklyn, who wonders whether Bridge Farm is following her around New York City. Witherspoon, who has thoughts about a couple of patients. And finally, Paul from Olney, who isn't finding the comedy very funny. We also have an email from Chris G in Indiana. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group from Vicky Cole, making her debut, and Tweets of the Week from Theo. But before Jacqueline and I start talking too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from Suey. Hello lovely people, it's Suey, Queen Altart here on the Twitters and Blue Sky and all that. It's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. After his excitement in winning the Who Can Bake the Best Victoria Sponge Cake contest, Brian felt very dodgy this week, which turned out not to be an angina attack or a broken heart, but instead an allergy to Hilda Ogden. Incidentally, since when do cats have two names? I reckon Susan Kalman started this trend. We're trying to lure a straw cat in from our garden, who we're tentatively naming Jason Statham, as he's a right bruiser. I'll let you know how we get on. The new Dr. Azra presumes that Hilda was Brian's mother-in-law. My, how we laughed. Tony refused to take Hilda, who attacked him, but he will now have to face the wrath of Pat, which apparently is better than facing the wrath of Peggy. Hilda behave just like a cat. Brian had to buy Tony a double scotch to pay him back. The doctor's surgery was proper busy this week, as Harry refused to listen to the new doctor, who was clearly going to give him bad news from a blood test 
But Harry put his fingers in his ears and went la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la until she stopped. Eddie got dressed up in a pair of heels, which must have been pretty big to fit his feet, surely. The oppressed Grundies have moved the sheep in a stealth manoeuvre onto the cricket pitch. Fire a funeral at St Stephen's, and unsurprisingly, people have noticed. How long is it going to take for that implosion to happen? Ed is now certain he needs to follow his tree surgeon dreams. Susan tried to royally stitch up Clary Love and get her to do all the manual work at the dairy while she behaved like a manager, even though Adam is going to be the temporary manager while Helen goes to Paris. Adam took Susan and Clary Love to the bull and they had whiskey for Burns Night. Also, he was exposed as a big fat fibber when he bought a cake from the tea room for the Victoria Sponge Contest. Oh my! On Friday, the bull was full again of people needing to work out who was the longest drinker. Brad was called upon to use his practical math skills to work out who had actually managed to rack up the most hours. Kenton and Jolene decided to ignore Brad's hard work and recommendations and toss a coin instead, at which point the bull was plunged into darkness. There's a doof, doof, doof moment if ever we heard one. Until next week then, my loveliness, and we hope it's a good one. Thank you very much for that, Zoe. Another excellent roundup of what was going on in a bit of a mixed week, perhaps. Mm, Jacqueline, how definitely. was your week? Well, my week was a bit like the archers, a bit nerd in places, a bit funny in places, but technically very challenging. Just before I went away at Christmas, my printer, which is 10 years old, decided to die a death. So I treated myself to a new one. One afternoon passed, trying to set it up and connect it to various tablets, telephones and everything. Finally got that done. And the next day, my new ring doorbell arrived. It works beautifully. I've even installed it on the door. But will the bloody thing ring on my phone? No. I can see, I can talk to people. Loke spent hours standing outside talking to me through the video camera. That works, but it won't make a notification on my phone. And I don't know what to do about it. So I've had a frustrating week but i didn't drink scotch unlike the rest of the archers how was your week Stephen? on the technology front my central heating has joined the 21st century i've got one of these internet connected thermostats which means that i can adjust the temperature wherever i am from my phone and that does seem to be working so far so that was good apart from that i've had a quite an interesting week at work in that i was on a course along with a whole load of senior people from the emergency services and the course is all about how to do strategic command in a major incident which Ooh. means something like a, a terrorist attack or a big fire or a, a plane crash or, or something like that we had a whole day of an immersive exercise where we were simulating how we would respond as the strategic leaders the gold commands uh, on an incident in which is a fictitious Planes yeah. coming down on a bridge in a, a small town. But you didn't run and hide in the airing cupboard? No, I was uh, joining with the, the police team for this exercise. So it was fascinating watching how yeah. it all unfolded. It sounds very interesting. Much more interesting than my tussle with technology this week. Anyway, that's probably enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which yeah. is you, our lovely caller in And so things start like this. Hello, Tiger. Now, we only have a very small number, a very select number of callers this week, but that doesn't mean that the quality is low. And our first call comes from 
Jen, who I think has got a bit of a rant. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Jen here. I'm triggered. Triggered. And funnily enough, I seem to be one of the few people who did get upset by this on Twitter last night. Not seeing much chat about it, but how dare Helen put Adam in the dairy to manage when she's away? How dare she? Adam joined that farm as the hired hand. He deliberately wanted something where he had no responsibility. He's a burned out, second rate. He has no qualifications. He's never worked in the dairy. He knows nothing about the dairy, which is a very technical space with very complicated health and safety guidelines and all the rest. Susan and Clary have had to do training courses and all of this. He's done none of that. And she's putting him in over their head because he's family. Let's look at him at home farm. Clearly not much of a manager. Stella's doing the job that he was doing. She's doing it so that she actually has loads of time. She has made the farm more profitable. She's actually sorted out some of the chaos there. And she can go and have lunch with Pip and she can take Christmas off. He was working 18 all the hours of God sends and still making a mess of it. Prior to that, he hasn't really had much management experience. Susan has run the village shop. Susan manages a huge team of volunteers. She's worked in that dairy practically her whole life. Clary is extremely experienced too. It's outrageous, outrageous to put that arrogant little thing in. And I can't believe he just coolly says, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that, I can manage it. The white male privilege in that man. Very annoyed. Oh, thank you for that, Jen. Yes, definitely a rant came on there, but I don't blame her. I actually felt very much the same. In fact, my whole irritation with Adam this week started with a moment he rushed in because apparently he was rushing in to cheat, which to me is just unforgivable anyway. And he rushed in. And the first time I listened to it, it was irritating because he seemed to be going blustery with the ladies and dismissive of what they wanted to talk about because he was so anxious. And then the second time I listened to it, I listened to it on 1.5. Well, he was frenetic. As people probably know that when you're a casual listener to The Archers and you only listen once, it's very easy to take first impressions of things. But when you're going to have to talk about it on a podcast, you tend to listen at least a second time, if not a third sometimes. And the second time this week, I listened much faster than I would normally. And Adam's voice. I know in the past, lots of people complain that he's got a dreary, slow, wooden way of speaking. But this week he wasn't. He went the other way. He had a lot more vive and verve about him, but it wasn't how he said things so much as what he said. The whole cake thing, it irritated me. The fact that Helen has put him in charge of the ladies, all the points that Jen made, I completely and utterly agree with that. And Clary and Susan, we can talk about them uh, a bit later on probably, but there's a funny relationship and that adding Adam to that mix I don't know what's going to happen while Helen's away. We can talk about that later as well, because I've got a lot to say about Helen going to see PSG. So how did you find Adam and that whole Helen scenario this week, Stephen? I did want to pick up Jen on a couple of points of detail. I generally agree, and I think that it was a bit unnecessary for her to bring Adam in to manage the dairy in her absence. But Jen isn't quite right when she says Adam has never worked in the dairy, because when Clary had an accident and was off work for a while two years ago. This would, I think, be in April 2022. Adam came in to cover for her and got on very well with 
Susan, and he did the food hygiene course that he needed to do, and I think he's done other courses. So it's not strictly true that he's never worked in the dairy. He has worked in the dairy before. He has done the work there. That doesn't justify putting him in as manager, but then again, as Jen says, he, he is family, and maybe that's it. Also, the, the point about his management experience, it's true that Seller seems to be making a better fist of running home farm. But one of the reasons it's a lot easier, a lot more profitable is because they no longer have the soft fruit, the cherries and so forth. And Adam's responsibility for the cherries was also responsibility for a team of pickers. And he did manage those pickers, whether it is very good management, including having an affair with Pavel and so forth. I'm not so sure that you would get full marks for skilled management, but he has had management experience in the case of managing the pickers. I think they previously had more staff on at home farm. Sammy Whipple, was it, who they mm. had for a while and yeah. had to let go. So one of the reasons that Stella can do the job better is because they've got better equipment and less of the manually intensive work, which was, was less profitable. So I, I think it's a little unfair, some of the cri specific criticisms that Jen makes, but I do absolutely agree with her general point that bringing Adam in to manage the dairy, particularly as this is when they are going to start making these cheese eggs for oh. Easter. Now, Easter is the very end of March, I believe, this year. That's only six I don't weeks. Know, and I don't know exactly how long the shelf life of a cheese egg is, but I would imagine that they're going to be fairly full swing during half term. Mm. And it seems to be a bit crazy that Helen is not going to be there throughout that period and it's going to leave yeah, them. Yeah, but to, also to this trip to Paris at half term, I understand it, but how many days is she going for? Surely it'll be no more than a four or maximum five day trip. Kids in Paris, I'm sorry, but especially it seems to be the only thing she's talking about doing with them is going to see PSG and the Eiffel Tower. It's expensive, it's busy, it's chaotic. And two boys and Helen, I'm not sure how she'll cope with them for more than a few days. So why would you have a manager in for that time? It could be that they could be going for an entire week. Let's assume that half term in Borsetshire is the same as half term in Gloucestershire. So the last day of school is the 9th of February. First day back is the 19th. Travel to Paris on the 10th, check into the hotel, go yeah, and see PSG playing. Yeah. Go and see PSG playing at home to Lille Olympique on Saturday evening. Then go and see the Eiffel Tower on Monday. Get them Sunday. really bored by dragging them through the Louvre on Tuesday. There's another PSG. There's a round yeah, of 16 tickets sold Champions out. League game. Sold out, well, Stephen. The Champions League game is sold out. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. They, they could go and watch that in a bar somewhere. That's against a real Sociedad, I think, isn't it? Could even... And this was my research, and you've, you've stolen it. Okay, and who are they playing the next weekend? I know, I didn't check because I thought she'd be home by then. Yeah, they're playing Nantes away. <laughs> oh, that's near me. Alternatively, if the half term is the following week, then the only game would be the last uh, Saturday where they are home to Wren. Another of yours. Yes, very much. Very much. It's between Gangor and Wren here, the battles. Not that I know anything about football. <laughs> when I was looking at PSG matches last night, Loic walked behind my tablet and said, you're not taking me to a football match, are you? <laughs> What's it? No way. 
There we go. And I know that it's half term there, but it's not half term here for another week. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, but I don't know why, even if it's a week, would she really put in a manager? Susan and Clary definitely can look after the dairy for a week or more. I, d- I don't know. The whole thing has irritated me. Adam's irritated me without even talking about the cheese eggs, which sound delicious. But I think you need specialist equipment if you're going to start making cheese eggs. Molds. At the very least, you'll need moulds, yeah. and you'll need some way of filling the moulds. And I don't think you just do that by pouring slush into the mould. I think you probably need to inject the stuff into the mould so that it's under enough pressure to fill out properly. And all of that is expensive if you're only going to be doing it for a short period each year. And there's only about a couple of companies, I think, in the country that, that make them, and I guess they're much bigger than the Bridge Farm Dairy. Well, I think our next call talks about cheese eggs so maybe should we talk a bit more about cheese eggs after the next call okay and this one is from another jen this one is from jen in brooklyn this is jen from brooklyn and sometimes i feel like the bridge farm archers are following my culinary wanderings of new york city because there's this bougie bakery near me that had a number of really disgusting looking fish pastries and then on the archers, that was Tom's stupid idea. And then I was just at this really amazing pizzeria by my work. And it's it's pretty fancy. And they were playing a video about cheese eggs that they're going to have for Easter. And that they, they make the cheese in this pizza parlor. And sure enough, that's Helen's new project is cheese eggs, which they look so good. That's a much better idea than fish pastry to me. Anyway, that's my my take, my excitement, listening to the archers. Take care. Thank you very much for that call, Jen. And yes, it does seem a bit spooky that every bad idea that Bridge Farm has had is revealing itself also in New York City. So I think we shall see. The fish pastries and so forth, I think that has all gone away. I think Tom has been persuaded that some of his more exotic flavors just aren't going to be practical. And Fallon and, and Emma have won there. I have to say, though, uh, sorry about the the fish pastries, because yesterday I had to make things for an aperitif shared with some ladies, and I made anchovy pastry twists, and they were delicious. It went down very well. So not all fish pastries are bad, but it was kale pastries and kale croissants and cauliflower stuff, wasn't it, that Tom uh, went on about? Yeah. There was an article in The Guardian reviewing cheese eggs that somebody, might be me, posted on a Dumpty Dum Facebook page. In fact, they do sound absolutely delicious. Would you eat a cheese egg, Stephen? In principle, I would eat a cheese egg. I posted a review from The Independent from a year ago or from Easter last year, and they talked about two different types of cheese egg, one made with cheddar and the other one made with black sticks blue mm. cheese, which apparently was nicer. But what they tend to do is mix the cheese with the flavor in with a a soft cheese so that they end up with something a bit squidgy. I think that it'd be much more fun if you could find a way of making a whole cheese, a whole small truckle, instead of having the traditional cylindrical shape that you made that egg shape Mm. and wrapped it in the sort of stuff that you do. I think that would be a lot harder to do than the traditional shapes and their simple cylinders for a reason. But I think that if you could make proper cheese in an egg shape, that might be quite fun. Or you could have one of these slices, different slices of cheese, and then the whole thing carved into a, an egg so that you have a multi-flavoured. 
Well, cheese actually, that's egg. what I'd imagined when she talked about cheese eggs. I thought that it would be like borsetia blue, sterling gold in layers, and then just shaped like a um, an egg. And then that article. I'm sure I've read one from The Guardian as well, but might have been The Independent. Other newspapers are available. But yeah, but I don't like chocolate, so cheese would go down very well with me. So, Yes, I don't like milk chocolate. I don't mind white chocolate in small quantities and dark chocolate in relatively large quantities. <laughs> and That's we have a branch handy. of hotel chocolate in Jeltman. So oh, You're so posh, you. And the, the trick there is to go after Easter because then everything Easter themed is half price. <laughs> Very good. It's a bit like buying your Christmas crackers and cards, isn't it, in January? Yes. I think the eggs don't last a year, unlike Christmas crackers, which you can keep for a year without worrying too much about them going off. That's very true, Stephen. (laughs) Unless you're very good at keeping your chocolate in ideal conditions. I'm sure that would be coped with in your lovely new kitchen. Shall we move on to our next call, which isn't about cheese eggs. It's about doctors and patients. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Woodspoon here on Friday morning, visiting my mom in sunny and warm Florida, while Angus is chilling back home with husbands. I guess I should comment on the medical stories of this week. First, Harry. I know a lot of people have been very suspicious of him and think he's a no-good Nick, but I haven't, and I know that Stephen also has had faith in him. But the course of true love in Ambridge can never run smoothly, except when it comes to Brad and Mia, at least for now. First off, as I commented on Facebook, that was one poor doctor-patient interaction. A video should have been made for medical students as an example of how not to share important information with a patient. I suspect that Harry already knows what is wrong and is just running like crazy to avoid dealing with it. He's found the person he loves, and now wants to live a fairy tale. Next, Brian. Brian, 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 I've been through this all. Do not ignore chest pain. I don't understand why when Brian was diagnosed with angina last year and given nitro, he didn't have more of a workup, echocardiogram, stress test. Why didn't he have a coronary angioplasty and a cardiac stent placed? Why didn't he do a cardiac rehab program? Sigh, I guess that's the NHS for you. Now he's having chest pain again. Alice, I know you made an effort, but just because blood pressure and pulse are normal, it doesn't mean the stage isn't being set for a heart attack. But I guess you wouldn't know that. Understandable. I would have overridden my 80-year-old father, contacted my siblings, and taken more action. But I know that Brian is a tough guy to butt heads with. So poor Alice, with two major health crises to deal with, is going to have a lot on her plate. I hope she continues to work her program, as is said. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that with a spoon. Yeah, talk about Harry first. Harry, yeah, he's a funny character, and I think we're all suspicious because we're suspicious anyway uh, of anything happening around Alice. What's going to knock her off her of her perch, off her of where she is? So it was a weird thing with the doctor and I mean I can't it was so unrealistic it just was just one of those other kind of fluffy things that you think and then left us hanging in the air and we still don't know whatever and there's lots of speculation there's no point in speculating stories will come out in the end and that's one of the things we love about the archers it's a slow drip 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 and every script writer changes the direction and then somebody pulls it back again so 
That's good. Now, Brian, I'm sorry with a spoon. I want to defend the National Health Service at this point. I know a lot of people don't. And I know there's lots of things in crisis, but I've got a very good friend who's had major heart problems and she is so well followed through, loads of stents, always being called back. She actually spends part of the year here in France and she gets calls from her local hospital down in Devon to check up on her and to follow through with things. I think it's a trope. You always say, Stephen, don't you, that we don't hear much of the week in Ambridge, so we don't know what Brian had afterwards. For his self-preservation, I don't think he should ignore chest pains. He shouldn't ignore it. And even if we do think it really is just a Hilda trope to move Hilda on to bite Tony or whatever, I still think that the pains and health issues for an 80-year-old man are worth following through. And the things is, well, we said last week, didn't we, that Azra's there and she's going to be an active part of the community. Well, she's already had two patients this week, so that's very good. What about you, well, Stephen? How did you find it all? Witherspoon called in before Friday's episode where we had Brian's appointment with Azra. And I thought that actually that was a really good piece of GP work. She took Brian through his symptoms. She tried to work out what was going on. She was calm. She was welcoming. And then she finally got the key piece of information, which is that it only ever happened at Blossom Hill Cottage. And therefore, it was almost certainly something in that the environment there and an allergic response. And then we established that it must be Hilda. I think quite a few of us had guessed what was going on anyway. Mm. It can't be anything serious because we can't afford to lose another long-term character from the program. I think all these people who are convinced that Brian is at death's door he isn't. The actor's got no interest in leaving the program. So I, I think Brian will be around for a while yet, which is why I was fairly sure that it was a cat allergy. So <laughs> the cat will be transferred over to Tony. Bridge Farm, probably not a good environment for it. But how about a loving house with a couple of kids and a neighbor who has got one of the cat's offspring already? I think that Hilda is going to end up at Beechwood. Yeah. I agree. With, ha with Helen and the boys. Yeah. And it's just a bit of a game of, of pass the parcel. Which uh, is sad. It's sad there. for the poor cat. She's probably feeling completely out of sorts anyway, because she'd only just not lived with Peggy for a very, very, very long time, not all her life, because she came from Fabrice's, didn't she? She did come from Fabrice originally. I was going to just, just get back to Harry. Ah, yeah. Yes. I, I think that Harry does know that something's going on. I think Witherspoon is right to think that he is desperately trying to avoid finding something out that's really quite nasty. It may well be that it's something that's entirely treatable. It's clearly serious enough for Azra to call him in to, yeah. to have a chat, but we don't know quite how serious it is. There's been quite a bit of speculation on social media, including some bizarre ideas. I don't know where people get these ideas from. And the it's wonderful. For instance, he's HIV positive or, or something <laughs> like that. But from a plot point of view, I, I don't think that's a particularly constructive line to go to. But as you say, we will find out very shortly, I think. I don't know when we will. It'll come up, but it will be revealed either we'll go back to Harry and Azra, or more likely, I think that after we left that scene, Azra was able to discuss it with Harry. It wasn't as if we left with Harry leaving at the same time. So I, I think we'll find out. Maybe Harry will have to explain something to Alice if there's treatment involved. Yeah. 
Matt, as with Swin said, it is actually a good point that he's got. She's got her father who's having a few health issues. If Harry's having health issues, and she's already been wobbling about, does she introduce Martha to him and and moving to the next step of their relationship? Having to deal with the stress of that, plus the running of the stables, plus flaming Lillian going on about how wonderful Harry is, that was irritating. Yeah, I was, I, it sounds like I'm very irritated this week. I'm not really, but it's just individuals have certainly managed to get on my nerves slightly. But Alice, is she strong enough to cope with all of this? I think that's the big question. So as, as two parallel storylines going on, I think it's a very, very good point. Yes, we, we shall see a- as I said, I thought that Ezra handled Brian very well, and yes. I think her handling of Harry wasn't ideal, but no. I think that's a lot to do with Harry's approach to it and desperately trying not to talk about things. Now, before so, we move on, Stephen, Brian also mentioned the route of love running smooth, and then he mentioned Brad and Mia. Of course, they're young. They're still living at home. They're still at school. But the first crisis that ever comes to young loves before while they're at school is they're going to university. So I think the story, and we've had a, a Brad being very weird this week, written a, very weirdly this week, but he's talking about his work, his schoolwork, and getting on with his schoolwork and staying up all night worrying about things. The university question is going to be a big one for both of them and will change the, the passage of their love for each other. They're obviously very good together. We're going to see some big changes in the next eight to 10 months with those two. I'm not sure that it will be Young Love Runs Smooth. No, I, I think we'll, we'll have to see. I think we left it with Brad planning to go to Felpersham mm. rather than somewhere that was really strong on maths. I don't think we've had much of a discussion of where Mia might go. No, and I'd, is she actually in the same year as him? Are they the same levels? Is it this year he does his? Last I think they're exams. both doing A levels this year. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, no, I don't think we've ever had any discussion about where she's going. And also, we had the decision that he wanted to go to Fel- Felpersham, but we didn't approve of that, did we? No, uh, definitely no. thought that he ought to go somewhere. <laughs> I was continually advocating for Warwick, which isn't very yeah. far away. So in an emergency, he's not far away from his support network. Uh, and they are excellent at maths. Right. I think you should listen. To- Brad, listen to Stephen. He knows what he's talking about. So those are our first few calls. There's one more to come, and we'll hear that very soon. And if you would like to join in by calling us yourself or dropping us a line by message or email, Jacqueline is here to tell you how, and the details are also in the show notes. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speedpipe.com forward slash dum dum Don't forget that T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810-012-881 or plus 44 and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Finally, we have an email address that you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumtdum at mail.com. Do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to contribute. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, let's get back to our calls. And our final call today is from Paul in Olney. Hello, folks. It's Paul in Olney here. I think it's Stephen and Jacqueline. Hi. This week. You might be able to hear the cat with me today. She's rubbing her head against the iPad as I'm trying to talk to you. And cats, I think, is partly what I wanted to talk to you about today and various other shenanigans. I think we've all pretty much agreed that Comedy isn't something that the Archers does particularly well, and there's been too many examples this week of them not doing comedy particularly well. We can understand what's going on with Brian and Hilda and the slightly panicky Alice about the possibility of a heart attack in the week that it's the anniversary of Jenny's death and all the bits and pieces, but I think we all pretty much suspected he's not been around cats much. Hilda's moved in. So we can understand all of that, but just the you have a no, you have a no, you have a between Brian and Tony and Billy with this damn cat. It's just wearing. And the other thing that's been really wearing, comedy not done very well, is this longest drinker thing between Bert and Neville. And it's just, I, I think I must have missed where it started, but it's, it's dragged on and dragged on. And it's really ridiculous. And they've just bottled it. If they can't make up their minds, why don't they just sell alternate drinks on alternate nights for them? They've, you know, they've committed to one pint a night for life for one or the other. Why don't they just split the prize? How hum still. Let's hope for a better week next week. Why not? Thank you for that call, Paul. Yes, I can't disagree with you that the longest to drink a competition has felt almost as long as a listen as the drinking careers of Burton Neville. I think that it has been really just bizarre and, and it, it's made no sense whatsoever. And it's never been clear exactly what they're measuring. And the fact that each of them are busy spending time the bull now and they're bringing out old beer mats and so forth. The whole thing is just totally inexplicable. I don't know what they were thinking of when they started it because it just makes no sense. 
No, none whatsoever. A very irritating storyline again. Although we have had a bit of Jolene and Kenton and their kind of contrast between their two personalities. And Kenton's getting wound up by things and Jolene's kind of saying, well, we'll just decide, just decide, just do it. And he wants to do it all very logically. But there was a, an incident in the week when they were having a conversation. He said, I need to go through all this stuff. I need your help with this. She said, well, I need a rest. Very good partnership, is it? doesn't feel like they're both singing from the same songbook, as it were, because he's getting all very anxious and she just wants to go and have a sit down for half an hour with a cup of tea and read a magazine. So that kind of made me think about their relationship a bit. Yes, we also had the interaction between Brad and Chelsea, with Brad being effectively bullied into doing all this legwork. I think we might hear a bit more about that in the email from Chris. And the other thing, talking about Brad and Chelsea, and I don't think anybody wrote in about this or called in about this, is the fashion show and the whole yeah. business of persuading Eddie to be a catwalk model. Or Jim. Uh, or Jim, indeed. And I know that it's supposed to be about reusing clothes and so forth. It just seems to be getting increasingly surreal. Yeah, it's, it is one of those. I think we're just having a bit of a... Fluffy week, as somebody said on social media yesterday. I think that's the end. Thank God that's the end of a fluffy week. But what's round the corner? And they do tend to do this to us. And it's no disrespect to the writer. Uh, as you say, she's not someone we've heard from a lot. But this was definitely a lightweight week of silly stories or not appearing to move any stories on, then the bombshells will start hitting in the next few weeks, if not It's next like week. they were moving some pieces into position for them to yeah. then do, do what they're going to do. Stephen, one of the things that we also haven't heard from anybody about, nobody, because at the beginning of the week, we had quite a lot of Natasha and this photographer and her anxiety over the tractor being in front of the tea room. It was packed in front of the tea room, wasn't it? And that was a very interesting episode to me because we had Natasha trying to go bring back the subject of the Titchener land with Helen and Helen saying, no, I want to stop it. And there was a bit of a funny exchange where Clary was brought up and Natasha said something like, but she's not family. And Helen luckily managed to think to say, yes, we even family make mistakes, which I thought was just a delicious slap over the top of Natasha's head. But... What amazed me was that when Natasha said, can we take some, have some pictures of the cheese making process, etc." Helen said, yes, but I don't want to be in it. But then it seemed like half an hour later, she changed her mind completely and become this, oh, yes, I don't mind my name. I don't mind a photograph in the room, blah, blah, blah. And actually put into promotion Clary and Susan and put them in the forefront, didn't she, with the photograph. But she did allow herself to be photographed in the end. I, indeed, yeah. And that was an and interesting she, change around, wasn't it? From the co first calm part of the conversation to her delivering the milk to the tea rooms and then ooh, she's I, go, going all out for it. I think she was moving on. I think she started that conversation in her recent mindset, the mindset that re reacted to the Rebecca Price, I think it is, the, mm. the journalist, her last visit when she saw Helen and said, oh, aren't you Helen Titchener? And she said, no, I'm Helen Archer. Mm. And I think that's where she started from. But she suddenly somehow realized that with Rob dead and she was now in this new free mm. position, free of all of that. I think she said at the end of the episode that it was a new start and that she was yeah. free of all of that. 
So maybe that's just generally trying to turn her into a bit more sympathetic character. Yeah, maybe. Maybe nobody called in about that because Helen, we've just had too much Helen. And it was at the start of the week and it's been overtaken by all these other exciting developments. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Including one of which we have still got to address. Yes. So those are the calls. Thank you very much for calling in. We do love to hear from you. Please call again next week. Last week, we had a a lot of calls. This week, we didn't have quite so many. It would be good to get a balance, probably towards the more rather than less (laughs) end. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? Yes, we had an email from Chris G in Indiana, and it goes like this. Greetings, Jacqueline and Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers out there. What a week in Ambridge. Jolene Kenton and the competition at the Bull continue to make one of the dullest plot lines to ever grace BBC Radio 4. And only Chelsea, never known for her genius until now, has the brains to simply look at Bert's driving licence. Brad may be a brilliant mathematician, but his intelligence seems to end there once again. Why are they making Brad stupid? When will this lame horse of a story end? And speaking of lame horses... Poor Harry Chilcott. It's been two days since he interrupted the doctor, and Thursday night as I sent this, we still don't know what's going on. Ed, stop. Whining. First he's whining about having no land, then this grown 40-year-old man is whining to his dad about getting caught grazing on the cricket pitch, which, being an American, I'm turning into a baseball field because I do not understand cricket. Well, actually, I don't understand baseball either, but never mind. And I also don't understand why Clary can't relax for one night. Drink that whiskey, girl. Stop worrying about what Helen wants. She certainly isn't that worried about you. Chris G in Indiana. P.S. Tracy from California. When are we going to hear from you again? Thank you for that email, Chris. Uh, it's, It's good to hear from you. And you raised a major story of the week, which nobody else has touched on, which is Ed, Eddie and the sheep. And the cricket pitch. Oh. So that has been a bit silly. Grange Farm has lost 10 acres of good grazing land. A cricket pitch, a village cricket pitch, is going to be lucky if it's two acres. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how they'll be able to cope with the density of stocking on that cricket pitch that they will need to have. But to be fair, we did get it. It was, But to be fair, it was made clear to us that they weren't expecting the sheep just to live off the grass on the outfield. It was, they were putting down hay bales. They'd prepared it all. They took the sheep through the village. It's amazing, though, it was one thing to take them down the footpath through Grange Spinney and through the churchyard, but they then would have had to take them down the road, over the bridge, past the village shop and the bowl on their way to the, the cricket ground. So the idea that nobody would actually notice a flock of sheep with a whole load of lambs going through the village and and being badly uh, mishandled by inexperienced people like Brad rather than having a dog. I'm not sure how Ed manages to keep a flock of sheep without having a sheep dog. No idea. It seems to me that uh, that would be a precondition for getting sheep moved around, even in a small place like Grange Farm, perhaps. Yeah, but even to move your sheep from a field into a barn, you can't do it. Even if there's 10 people, you need the dog. I've never worked with a flock of sheep without a dog, so I didn't understand why they don't have a dog. 
So there's all kinds of legal questions about what they were doing. You're not supposed to have livestock on land that isn't a registered holding. You need to register it with the with DEFRA. And the cricket pitch certainly isn't registered <laughs> as a holding. And you're supposed to be able to you're supposed to have a license to move animals from one person's holding to another person's holding. So obviously you can move them around your own farm without problems because those will all be part of the same patch. But to transfer them off range farm to somewhere else, you need a license. It's not something that is difficult to get. You just need to register the movements. DEFRA inspectors will know what to expect. So all of that is, I guess, what they're concerned about, more so than the question of who, whether they've got permission to be on the cricket pitch. Now, Ed talked about talking to Grey Gables about access to the cricket pitch. That is because it used to be owned by Jack Woolley. And, but he gave it to the cricket pitch 25 years ago, maybe. Sorry, he gave it to the, the village. He gave it to the cricket club about ah. 25 years ago. So it's actually the cricket club that would need to give permission rather than Grey Gables. Of course, the key question is if, how can he have trouble getting hold of Grey Gables when the person who is running Grey Gables lives in this at Grange farm? Yeah, weird. Just next door to where he is in Little Grange. Yeah, as as we said, maybe the scriptwriter this week hasn't got caught up on all the ins and outs of everything. <laughs> there was a lot of there were a lot of gaps like that, weren't they? But I wanted to talk about Chris talked about Clary. I, I found it very I find it fascinating that Burns Night is celebrated in the Bull. Is Burns Night celebrated in the UK a lot? Yes, it is. It's the supermarkets fill up with haggis at this time of year, and then it all disappears again. You can usually get a small quantity, but all the supermarkets around here have quite large piles of haggis available. So a lot of people do celebrate it. It's just a something to mark the cold, dark days of January. It's an opportunity to eat something that you don't normally eat, drink whiskey during the week, uh, and generally do that. So I think even people with very tangential Scottish connections will find a reason to celebrate Burns Night. And Burns was a pretty decent palate. He's written some good stuff. So it's a yeah. good chance to dig that out. We didn't hear from Jazza, though. No, that was an interesting omission. We've previously had Jazza doing the toast to the haggis. Oh, and also piping the haggis in and stuff like that, haven't we, in the past? Yes, so it's, it's, a bit it's like... probably a good thing we didn't hear from him, though. We didn't get him at New Year's Eve either this year. No, well, I must be busy. I have a Scottish friend, so on Thursday night, I sent uh, a message saying, are you eating, uh, are you having a wee dram and uh, your haggis? And she laughed and she said, Scottish people don't necessarily do that. I think it's the rest of the world that do it. <laughs> That's quite interesting. It's, it's a bit like St. Patrick's Day, which seems to be a bigger deal in the States than it is in Ireland. And it's the, a big deal here. Yeah, yeah the, the, the Irish tea shop tends to be in New York for Patrick's Day rather than in Ireland, which suggests that it's not really a, an Irish thing. And similarly with the Cinco de Mayo, which is celebrated in the States, but not in Mexico. Very interesting. We have a festival to mark the end of January and it's called Chandler and it's we But as in candles? Uh, yes. The lighting because of the light and all the rest of it. That would be Candlemas. Yes. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. I suppose it so is Candlemas. Candlemas yeah. is the 2nd of February. And, the 2nd of February, Chandler. Yeah. And that's traditionally the day when you take down your Christmas greenery. You've taken yeah. down all your decorations by 12th night. The 6th. But you yeah. leave the, the greenery, the holly and 
so forth up until the 2nd of February. And then you replace it with uh, new greenery, in this case, box. Very good, Stephen. That's a very traditional piece of information. Um, in fact, it's when we put the laurel bough that we were given at on Palm Sunday on the fire. You burn it then. Because you You've don't had, throw had it, it since Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, yeah, and it dries and it dries out. And so you go into houses. We've got one sitting on the above the arga, drying, drying, drying. And then you put it on the fire on the second. And then you eat crepes. And of course, here we eat crepes and cider. It's a bit like a pre-runner to Mardi Gras. So we get in practice. But the shops this week, I went to the supermarket yesterday, and the shops are absolutely full of ingredients to make your crepes and all the rest of it. Plus, we have a buckwheat. Sacks of buckwheat, indeed. But in fact, they tend to be the sweet ones rather than the galettes. Interesting. We don't make them. We buy them because there's a lovely artisan creperie here in Mieux de Bretagne. And so we buy them and I just heat them up. But Grand Manier was out on in full scale yesterday in the supermarket. So there we are. So that's our way of marking the end of the end of the darkest of the days. Let's put it like that. I actually felt that this week's Archers was sponsored by Whiskey. Scotch, as they say. There was a lot of it about. Thank you once again, Chris, for that email. Let's move on to Facebook, where we have lots of active, friendly and erudite members, and we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Lindsay Crosby and Ian Schofield. And let's hear what our Facebook group has been talking about this week. And here, making her debut as a rander-upper, is the lovely Vicky Cole. Hello everyone, it's Vicky Cole here with the roundup of the Facebook page. What a huge privilege to be joining the Dumpty Dum team. It's an awesome responsibility to be following in the footsteps of Yokel Bear and the much-missed Millie Bell, who I've been thinking about quite a lot this week, as well as all the current wonderful contributors. I'm calling in before the Friday episode this week. An early post this week made me laugh. The excellent Pam Dulai posted a review she had seen recently about a tea room. Having described Natasha as implausibly clip-clopping about in obscenely high heels on a farm, she goes on to describe the ambience and the napkins that are rationed and wrapped around cutlery so that you can't stuff them in your ears to escape from the music. Worth reading the whole thing. The health of two characters has been up for discussion this week. Firstly, Brian, who really seemed quite unwell, causing Alice and all the rest of us a great deal of concern. We love Brian and couldn't bear to lose him. Several people have suggested it might just be an allergy to Hilda, and there were also a couple of suggestions of COVID. T. Brown Artivist CA hoped that if Brian did collapse, Hilda might call the emergency services, as apparently this may have happened once in the States. Harry had a call from his new GP, which Witherspoon described as the most unproductive doctor-patient conversation he'd heard in a long time. Lillian McCarthy thought that Harry's babbling on about how good he felt was to cover his nervousness about what he was perhaps going to hear. There was much discussion about what could be wrong with him. HIV or STDs were suggested, which would make the storyline of the relationship with Alice much more interesting than it currently is. Nicola McIntyre thought that if Harry was seriously ill, but pulled through, it might cement his relationship with Alice. Or if he died, it might bring Chris and Alice back together. Jackie Fear felt that the twin possibilities of a terminal diagnosis for Harry and Brian on the way out 
could send Alice back to drinking again. This is all a bit gloomy. I do hope that none of that comes true. Finally, on a lighter note, Jeanne Hanisco, I'm sorry, I hope I've pronounced that right, is very worried about the cheese eggs and the what, how and why of them. Apparently they are a thing, although I'd never heard of them. Luckily, Stephen came to the rescue with an article about them from Easter time last year. Who knew? I've really enjoyed looking in detail at the Facebook page this week. So many clever, funny, knowledgeable people on there. Do come and have a look and join in if you can. The more the merrier. Well, that's it for this week. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye until next time. Thank you, Vicky. That was an excellent debut. And thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Now, did we have any reviews this week? No, we didn't. Not one, I'm afraid. But can I also add my thanks to Vicky for reminding me about Millie Bell and Mark Yokelbear? Because they were the original rounder-uppers, Millie Bell especially, who sadly died very, very young. And she was a great addition to Dumpty Dum when she arrived. So thinking a lot about absent friends. And thank you for the prompt, Vicky. Yes. Hooroo to you, yeah. Millie Bell. Hooroo. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now to Twitter where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archer's hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archer's-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Wenlock House. And I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. But I think we've both been a bit busier on Blue Sky at the moment and I can be found there at jberto.bsky.social And I'm at wenlock.bsky.social so let's find out who has won the medals for tweeting this week. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on both sites, we've been seen a number of people commenting on how it is that Eddie knows not to try and move sheep at night and whether he's been rustling in the past. Also, why Helen's short break, presumably over half term, is so long that Adam and Susan can get up to so much mischief. And I'm joining in the complete resistance to the idea of Brian being unwell. But in proof that the Dumpty Dum posse sometimes know more than the characters, Claire Astbury at clairejastbury.bsky.social pointed out that Jolene and Kenton clearly should have been listening to our excellent history of the bull from Stephen to understand the background to Neville Booth's claims of longevity. While md05.bsky.social pointed out that in the book Ambridge at War, book one, Bert is four years old on New Year's Eve 1940. So they seem to have got his age wrong now or in a previous book. And on that bombshell, over to my medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, all of which we continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Mike Jennings, at Mike J. Jennings, with a reminder that Texels look like the bully XLs of the lamb world. Sort of woolly XLs. The silver medalist 
is Julian Smith at thestarchers.bsky.social. The sheep arrived unscathed at the cricket pitch with their lambs in mint sauce condition. And the gold medal goes to Matt at MattMark2. As the new Borchester Echo is released up and down the country, people are looking at their papers and saying, Blow me! Bridge Farm has a window! Margaret, get the children in the car this instant! We must go! Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo also looks after things. Now, next week we'll be recording at the normal time of first thing on a Saturday morning, so please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our lovely contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. Thanks to you lot, too. This lovely Dum to Dum community is what makes doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. And we are now off to have fun with Adam. So it's au revoir from me. And it's goodbye from me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.